The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And on this episode, we are joined by Ben DeLacour. Ben DeLacour has been called a master storyteller, a true troubadour, an enigma, a revitalizing force, His album, The High Cost of Living Strange, is out now. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And in addition to doing this interview with us, you're also going to play a few songs for us? I am. All right. So how about uh, introducing our listeners to your music? What what are you going to play for us? I'm going to play a song called... uh... Guy Clark's fiddle. It was written about this broken fiddle that Guy Clark had sitting in his basement for uh, I don't know how many years, countless years. And uh, supposedly he kept it around just to remind him not to break any kind of musical instrument ever. And I thought that was a kind of that was a as good a thing to write a song about as any. And then I I wrote the song and I got to open for. Uh, Verlin Thompson last year, who was guy's kind of longtime collaborator and guitar player. And, and when I came off stage, Verlin goes, oh, man, you know, it's a nice song. I'm, uh, I'm glad glad you wrote it. I've been looking at that goddamn fiddle for 30 years. <laughs> I thought that was fun. Hmm. Yeah. So here it is, Guy Clark's fiddle. Thank you. 
inside my guitar case. I know it's frayed and faded. I can still make out her face. But I still keep it in there. So I remember when I destroyed something that'll never be whole again. Bodies fail, cities fall into the sea. With every turn we take, we talk catastrophe. But every day I wake to find the dawn unmoved, and then I become all. I won't make whole again. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. So tell us, Guy Clark, was he a big influence on you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think any, anybody who plays these kind of, writes these kind of songs, is, even if they don't know it, are definitely owe a debt of gratitude to, to Guy. And I, I, I definitely feel like I do. Tell us about some of the songwriters. You mentioned Guy Clark, but the ones that have been the biggest influence on you? I would say uh, Towns Van Zandt, Guy Clark, Warren Zevon, uh, Nick Cave. I really love Shane McGowan from the Pogues. You know, obviously Bob Dylan was kind of a very formative influence on me when I was really young. Leonard Cohen. I really like uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce from the Gun Club. He's a really good songwriter. Um, great band. Yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. What made you want to take on such a hard business? It's such a competitive, it's a very hard road going into music. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Probably a, a lack of realization, lack of self-realization. You know, masochistic tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I mean, it's like, a, I don't really, you know, it, it never felt like, like a usually kind of conscious choice for me. You know, it was like, I always, I've pretty much written songs and stuff like this since, since I was pretty young, you know, and played in bands and, you know, different kind of bands and wrote songs and, I don't know, it just kind of felt like a, like it was always just kind of what I, what I was doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I kind of realized how ridiculous it was, it was, it was already kind of too late. <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like to write a song? Frustrating. Yeah, I was reading this uh, interview with like an airplane 
like an airline pilot. And he was saying, you know, someone was like, what, what's it like being a pilot? And he was like, oh, it's, you know, 10,000 hours of sheer boredom and then three minutes of sheer terror. That's kind of like how writing a song is like 10,000 hours of frustration and then like two minutes of kind of real joy that you feel like you captured something. And then you're like, well, I'll never write another song again. That was it. That was the only good song I'll ever write. And then so you write back to the frustration. I feel like, you know, it's somehow there's something there that keeps coming back. I've heard a lot of people say it's 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 painful, like you're saying. It's it's not it's not the liberating experience a lot of people th think it might be. No, I mean moments of it are liberating, but they're pretty few and far between. But but it's like an abusive relationship, you know. It's like a few moments of real love and joy kind of are what keep you coming back. I certainly don't feel like there's some songwriters I know who who kind of like to lift themselves up to this kind of lofty standard of their people need to hear their songs or they're doing the world some kind of service, which I think is a total ego trip and, and also just nonsense to think that the world needs another, you know, <laughs> like sad songwriter thing, you know, it's, it's mostly a selfish endeavor, but, but, uh, you know, I do think that there is a possibility that you're tapping into something a little bigger, but I don't think it's, I, I certainly don't think it's for the benefit of humanity like some people like to paint it. You've lived in a number of places. I'm hoping you can tell us about the different places that you've lived. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I lived kind of, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to to travel, you know, to, to live in a variety of places. I was actually, I was born in, in London, but I left when I was a year old. Um, it was obviously not my own, on my own volition. Uh, I grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York. And then uh, since then, I kind of lived in a, I mean, I lived in Havana for a while. I, I moved back to the UK as an adult for, for a few years. I lived in LA for a little while. I lived in New Orleans for a long while. I lived in, uh, now I've been in Nashville for five years. And tell us about the experiences that you had in Havana, Cuba. Well, yeah, actually, uh, um, music was kind of my backup choice. I, I honestly, not my backup choice, but it was on the back burner for a while. I, I thought that uh, I was really into boxing for about six years of my life, from about 14 to 20. And I really thought, you know, I was going to end up becoming a professional boxer. I had a bunch of amateur fights, but uh, I'm glad I... I didn't because I was definitely don't think I was good enough to be anything except for a human punching bag in the long run. But uh, yeah, that was a trip going over to Cuba and training with some of the people from that, the national team and just, again, good, being a human punching bag for a while. It was fun. What are your most vivid memories from Havana? Uh, man, that's, that's an interesting question. I think that at night, they have this thing, the Malecon, which is a, just this seawall that runs along the edge of the city. And, you know, people there congregate at night. And I'd, I'd have my guitar and my friends, and we'd go and hang out there and drink around. And just sometimes you play a little bit for tourists, and sometimes you meet a lot of other people who are playing for tourists or just who are hanging out down there. So you get into all kinds of weird adventures. That was pretty, that was fun. 
I actually wrote a kind of a song about that on my last album, which is actually called Midnight in Havana, um, the one before this new one. And there's a, the title track is kind of about that. And it felt kind of great. You know, it was like I was 19 years old. I was thousands of miles away from anyone I knew. This is kind of, you know, this is over a decade ago, so they didn't really have the internet there. So I was kind of out of communication with anyone and everyone. I didn't know what was going on. It was nice. It was great. I kind of felt, uh, I mean, it felt great, but now I feel like a, like that was a different person. It's hard to reconcile that with my life now, hmm. you know, and with anything. Really. Well, would you like to play that song for us? Sure. I haven't played in a long time, but I'd love to give it a go. All right. All right. This is uh, Midnight in Havana. <laughs> Midnight in Havana, all the sails are in the wind. There's a warm breeze blowing from a far off place, and I don't know where I've been. Beyond lights are blinding, there's thunder in the bay. The air is heavy and it smells like rain. There's an old man fishing on a rubber tube. Beer bottles tied to his feet. There's a pretty girl whispering in my ear. And I'm trying to be discreet. Whoever it is, send me here. I've got questions I need asking. But it's midnight in Havana. It'll have to wait till morning. But I ran 
now my connection's gone. I swear I saw heaven ways ghost outside Lebanon. I staggered through the square with my pockets bare and a soul-crushing hangover. With a stranger's clothes and none of my shoes still. I keep getting these calls in the dead of night, asking where the action is. Tried to talk to the concierge, son of a bitch wouldn't look me in the eye. I sent her gave me an ice cream cone. Told me I was gonna die. There's no old man fishing in a rubber tube. Beer bottles tied to his feet. There's a pretty girl whispering in my ear. But I'm trying to be discreet. Whoever it is. Put me here, I've got questions that need asking. But it's midnight in Havana. You'll have to wait till morning. So, how did you get into boxing? What about boxing? I don't know. Like I said, I guess I have some kind of latent man- masochistic tendency. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of, you know, I got into like a, you know, a decent amount of garden variety trouble in school. I got kicked out of a couple of schools. And uh, my dad, you know, where we lived is right near this uh, pretty, well, world famous gym in Brooklyn called Gleason's Gym, famous boxing gym, and, and uh, he's like, why don't you go down there, you know, you like fighting so much, and I, it's not like I really loved fighting, I just was like a trouble, troublemaker, I guess, and uh, so I did, and I stayed there for four or five years. I've heard this word used, American noir. Yeah. Tell us exactly what that is, and how, how you, you got that idea. I don't really know. It just kind of came. Uh, I uh, it just came to me, you know. I was thinking Americana and then American Noir, and I was like, "Well, that's that's silly." And I was like, "Oh, that's well, you know, it's silly, silly, but that's not funny." Yeah. 
Do you think truth is important when you're a songwriter? It depends what your definition of truth is. Yeah, you know, it really... What do you mean by truth? <laughs> I don't know. What's your definition? Um, I think when it comes to art, truth is, uh, is a little more uh, fluid, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's maybe a little bit more subjective. I mean, I think that you have to stay true to, as cliche as it sounds, like you have to stay true to the song, but you don't have to stay true to the story. Like, you know, it's like, I think it was, uh, trying to remember what director it was. Um, I don't know, some famous John Ford, maybe, the Western director. Hmm. He said when it comes to truth or the story, or truth or the legend, or truth or the story, print the print the legend, you know, like, and I think that, uh, I think uh, that's, the important thing is, like, what's going to tell a better story, and what's going to, you know, as long as you're not, like, totally changing the meaning of historical events to fit your narrative, which it seems to be the popular method of political expression right now, but, um, you know, if, as long as you're, as long as you're staying true to the story, then truth is something that can be, you know, shifted, manipulated, however you want to put it. Hmm. So you make your home in Nashville these days? I do. Do you like it? I love it. Why? I just think it's a really great, uh, it's a really great, uh, like, nurturing community of creative people who are, who are hustling, but not, like, hustling in a gross way, like in L.A., but, you know, hustling in, like, a, actually creating art that they feel is meaningful and helping each other and, you know, and, uh, you know, and I think it's, uh, I like it how you kind of got to dig a little bit below the surface to find all the cool stuff. Do you find it to be a competitive place? Um, I mean, not really. Like, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of good songwriters, but I mean, don't you want, if you're a songwriter, don't you want to be where all the, where all the good songwriters are? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't want to be the best songwriter in Omaha. <laughs> you know, like, it's not really a, I think it's good to, uh, you know, to be around the people who are, who are, who are, who are you know, it's where Guy Clark lives, it's where John Prime still lives, this is, it's pretty, those guys, it's, it's good enough, and it's good enough for me. And I'm also very far removed from, as are most of my friends and, and fellow songwriters, very far removed from, like, the kind of gross music row machine. Maybe if you were a music row trying to hunt down a publishing deal to write the next Jason Aldean song, it would be a little more competitive and awful, but that's, you know, that's a different world. Do you think that maybe the public has a bit of a misconception and that they they don't know that there are still guys like you out there? There are still people out there who are really creating something genuine, and it's not just the music row commercial aspect. Um, it's hard to say. You know, honestly, though, I, it doesn't bother me if they don't, you know, because that stops all the... You know, that stops the influx of people from L.A. and, so, you know, it stems the tide of all those people just coming and turning Nashville into the next Silver Lake, you know, where you got to pay or the next 
Williamsburg or Greenpoint, you know, where you got to pay $4 billion for an apartment, and, you know, and people complain. I even saw it in New Orleans, just people complaining, moving next to bars and getting the bars shut down because they complained that the bars are too loud after three in the morning. It's like, well, don't move next to a bar. You know, <laughs> those like that kind of, I mean, change is inevitable, but I think that it's nice that Nashville still has this kind of slightly laissez-faire attitude to a lot of stuff and I think that that'll change. I think that the more that, you know, people think that this is some kind of redneck backwater is the longer that it'll be able to, you know, be have a thriving community of artists, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't really, you know, I mean, there, there have always been people doing what I try to do. And in Nashville, there are a lot of them, but, you know, you find them everywhere. I, I, I spent a lot of time on the road, and you know, you see there are people all over the country, all over the world, creating art, you know, on, under to a to a high standard. This, whether they achieve it or not, whether I achieve it or not, you know, you shoot for a high standard, and I think that's pretty ubiquitous. I was reading at the beginning of uh, the interview, kind of a combination of a lot of press snippets. Uh, of things people have called you, master storyteller, true troubadour, all those different things. So I'm curious to know, that's from the press world, but just of everybody, fans, other musicians, what would you say is the best compliment you've received as an artist? Um... I don't know, I think that Man, that's hard to say, you know, because obviously you want people writing nice things about you, but it's like you can't really take it to heart, you know? I think that, I don't know, this is, that's a really good question. I, I don't think there's anything particularly nice anyone said about me. I just think it's more like when artists that I admire, you know, um, are kind enough to take me out on the road or have me open shows for them or, you know, connect me with people or, you know, that kind of seal of approval from, from people who, who, uh, I admire as artists, you know, that's kind of cool. Or, you know, when, uh, you know, just being, just being allowed to be, not allowed to be, because it's not like I'm, you know, but, but, uh, just kind of, I don't know, being, being welcomed into a community like the East Nashville community for the most part is just kind of like a nice, you know, but ultimately if you're searching for validation, external validation, you're always going to come up short. You're always going to want more and more and more. Is there going to be enough? And you'll be depressed. So you got to, you know, I've tried to train myself early on to just really appreciate and acknowledge a few positive things that, you know, come my way on that front, but also to, to work on like, well, you're, you're not here to be validated, you're here to write songs. So hold yourself up to the standard of writing songs and connect with people, or that you're proud of, or that you feel like you tapped into something. Because it's what, you know, you're not, it's not like I'm some kind of, you know, far too obscure to be a public figure. And definitely, uh, even those artists who are, who are, you know, famous, like, they're not, for me, it's like, Art should be foremost. 
with if you're an artist songwriter, be an artist songwriter. Make art, write a song. You know, we go back to truth. Tell your your truth. You know, and don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard answer. Hard question. I always like to end the interviews very open ended, just to kind of give you the stage. What would you say to anyone who's listening in? Uh, when you see me, give me all your money, buy all my records. Give me, <laughs> give me your uh, beer tokens. <laughs> and uh, don't ever drink any, uh, don't drink liquor from a plastic jug ever. <laughs> Why not? Oh, or, I can tell you never drank whiskey from a plastic jug. I have. <laughs> you have, you still have to ask the question. <laughs> It'll, uh, you'll find out the next morning or maybe <laughs> later that night. Some lessons have to be learned by, by doing them yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's what I would like to end with. That you, took, you, you put it much more succinctly, and some lessons have to be learned by doing them yourself. <laughs> that's what I'd like to put out there for the youth of today. Well, do you have a song maybe you'd like to send our listeners on their way with? Sure. Uh, let's see what we got here. Let's sing a song about methamphetamines. Why not? Yeah, why not? With the, you got to do it yourself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this song in a Waffle House called Dixie Christmas. I got Dixie Christmas running through my brain. I'm doing 135 in the passing lane Shaking hands, white knuckle, blood on the wheel I've been running on fumes since I left Mobile But I don't feel nothing, don't feel no pain I got this crystal running through my brain Cousin Donnie's on the corner with some Irish rooms. Mama's hanging down with God on the nose. My head's cracking open, can't blow my nose. Grandpappy's passed out in the Sunday clothes. Baby screaming in the kitchen, driving me insane. She got dicks and grizzles running through her brain. Pseudo-epidermis from the sunshine state No link cuisine, we're just shaking, babe I got little girls lining up, giving it away All for a ride on that nothing train They got this, girls running through their brain Kill me in the end. Amen. <laughs>
again, never sleeping again. I'm running with the white devil into the wind. The only thing better than playing to win is playing to lose, and it's a goddamn sin. But tomorrow's three or four days away. I got Dixie crystals running through my brain. Yeah, tomorrow's three or four days away. I got these girls to run through my brain. <laughs> well, everyone out there, it's bendelacour.com. It's just Ben and then D E L A C O U R.com. Yes, sir. Ben, thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. I was sorry we got uh, messed up last week, Paul. Oh, it happens. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour. And if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>